When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Alan Leeds, former tour director for James Brown, Prince, and D'Angelo, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology. And rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Early in the evening, just about supper time, over by the courthouse there, starting to unwind. Four kids on the corner trying to bring you up. Willie picks a tune out and he blows it on the harp diggers. Hey now, welcome to Deeper Digs with me, Christian Swain, the rock and roll archaeologist. Another great one on tap for you today. Doug Cosmo Clifford from Creedence Clearwater Revival is with us. All right, business real quick. Episode 19 is fully in production and just around the corner, up around the bend. Very close now for all you who are salivating and sending those cards and letters. It's a big one, diggers. Part one was almost 100 minutes long, and part two will at least match that length. So we are talking well over three hours of 1969 for you. Uh, as we said, it was a big year in rock and roll, uh, perhaps the biggest. After uh, the research and the realization that we could never hope to fit the events into a single episode, we concluded that this was not only the peak year of of the music, but is probably uh, peak year of the American century. And uh, we don't say that with reservation. Uh, now, while we don't have a crystal ball, I certainly feel it more than fair to suggest the dominance of the United States has waned in this new century, uh, certainly so far, that we are uh, just 20 years into now. I do know something uh, new is being birthed at present. And due to how much smaller the world is today, if we are going to continue progress, we will all need to work together to achieve a brighter future. Uh, think of today in a similar manner as not being, you know, far from uh, the end of World War I uh, a century ago, which uh, through its industrialized killing ended the old Napoleonic Victorian Edwardian ages, uh, industrialization being the key word. Uh, today, just replace it with information and you might see my point. And remember, it's not not until the end of World War II when the New World comes into a focus when America dominated the world, uh, certainly culturally, which is what our show is, uh, is about. The dominant music of late 20th century and showing how it will be remembered as one of the great things America did give to the world. Anyway, all of that to come in episode 19, 1969, part two. So how about having one of the guys in the biggest band in the land at that time being our guest today, huh? Pretty cool. 
All right, one last thing before we get going. Uh, AdamandEve.com, diggers, uh, thank you for all the purchases. We greatly appreciate the support. Go to AdamandEve.com and use the checkout code D-I-G-S, digs, for all kinds of free stuff. 50% off almost any single item. And then a bunch of free gifts and free shipping. Your lover will absolutely love you for all the goodies that will arrive in the post a few days after your purchase again d-i-g-s is the checkout code at adamandeve.com okay let's get to it Today we are going down to the bayou and have a nice long chat with Mr. Doug Cosmo Clifford, the drummer of Creedence Clearwater Revival. You know, when I started the train called Rock and Roll Archaeology, there were two huge questions that bothered me since childhood. First, how did the two greatest songwriters of the 20th century grow up less than a mile apart? Uh, John and Paul, that is. I was interested in the nature of genius and was confused uh, by the nature of it. Uh, diving into their story assured me, uh, at least in this case, it seems to be far more about nurture. The second was, how did a bunch of high school kids from El Cerrito, California, sound like they literally just walked out of the Spanish moss-soaked swamps of the Louisiana bayous and ruled the charts? On the surface, this is just not supposed to be successful, especially in the revolutionary times of the 1960s when authenticity was thought to be king of American rock. Today, I sort of get the answer, though it is less satisfying than Paul and John both losing their mothers at around the same age, uh, being the, the primary um, uh, reason why uh, the two of them worked so well together and became the, you know, the, the greatest songwriting team uh, of the 20th century, if not in history. Uh, anyway, um, the CCR answer is more astounding because... The answer seems simple. They just loved that music the most, but it's kind of hard to pull off when you put it in practice, especially American bands that favored some sort of geographical authenticity at the time. Really, it just was, and here these guys go so far against the grain. It's it's crazy. It's always, always been a really interesting concept to me. And to have that band of brothers overtake the Fab Four in record sales as the 1960s are coming to an end is kind of cool and strangely weird. So I get to ask the question uh, that has haunted me for decades. 
Cosmo called uh, so because he was the most cosmic of the four CCR uh, musicians that included Stu Cook on bass, Tom Fogarty on guitar, and of course, John Fogarty on guitar and vocals, and who wrote most of the classic hits. The four of them began playing in junior high school as the Blue Velvets, back when being in a band was akin to being in a gang. They continued into high school as the Gollywogs and then thankfully were pushed into a name change to Creedence Clearwater Revival. And we uh, talk about how that name uh, came about. So I'll leave that answer to the interview. Uh, Not like other Bay Area bands, um, uh, very much not like other Bay Area bands who referred to them as the Boy Scouts because they eschewed the drugging and uh, general hippiness of the era to focus and uh, blue collar it uh, to success, if you will. They worked hard and boy, what success they had. After Doug and John Fogarty returned from their reservist stints, John in the Army and Doug in the Coast Guard, they got serious and got signed by Fantasy Records, which turned out uh, good and bad, depending on who is doing the talking. They released their first album in early 1968 with modest success, Suzy Q, a groovy cover originally written by Dale Hawkins, got them some radio uh, play and cracked the top 40. Another cover, uh, the Screaming Jay Hawkins song, uh, was another winner, uh, I Put a Spell on You, and uh, along with uh, the Fogarty-penned Porterville. But in 1969, they released three albums, uh, plus two in 1970, all top tens, and they toured incessantly to become the biggest band in the world. So much so that they were the initial band signed for Woodstock, knowing that if CCR was in, everyone else would jump on the bill as well. Um, But by 1971, things begin to fall apart. Uh, Tom Fogarty had had enough of his little brother and quit. Uh, Doug, John, uh, and bassist Stu Cook tried for one more album, the poorly received Mardi Gras, released in 1972, and poof, the magic was gone. The boys broke up. Uh, As we know, uh, there were and are still hard feelings um, amongst the three uh, remaining members, almost all of it due to the contract with Saul Zentz of Fantasy Records, who uh, they still control the rights to the songs. We'll get Cosmos' take on all of that in the interview. In the 1980s, John revived his solo career to great fame, while Doug took on environmental causes stemming from the Lake Tahoe area that was seeing a degradation in water quality at the time. In 1990, uh, Tom Fogarty passed due to complications from AIDS uh, after a blood transfusion uh, and uh, making a CCR full reunion uh, impossible. In 1993, uh, CCR was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and boy, was that a fucked up night. Stu and Doug were only allowed to receive their induction, uh, but were barred from playing by Fogarty. Ouch. Uh, Instead, he used an all-star band uh, with uh, Bruce Springsteen and Robbie Robertson. Uh, In 1995, Stu and Doug created the Creedence Clearwater Revisited band to uh, take on the road without John. Well, John sued them uh, after a couple of years, lost. Um, So for the next 20 years, uh, Doug and Stu played the circuit with a revolving list of members until last year when they decided to retire the Revisited band permanently. 
Since then, Doug has been going through the archives and pulled together a group of songs uh, uh, on a just-released album called Magic Window. Uh, it's out now uh, on your favorite music platform, so please go listen and let us know what you think. Um, and I'll give you a little taste here before we get going. So let's get to know Doug Cosmo Clifford a little more, shall we? Welcome to Deeper Digs, Doug Cosmo Clifford, and happy 75th birthday today. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, wow. 1945. April 24th uh, is, uh, uh, that's the very end of uh, World War II. So you 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 are uh, like officially, without doubt, like a baby boomer. Well, it's it's pretty hard to deny. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, before we get too deep into uh, you know you uh, and the incredible career that you've had, I really want to start with something brand new, and that is uh, a, 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 for your seventy fifth birthday. Not only uh, do you just get a, a wonderful, great day. Uh, but you actually get to release an album today as well uh, called Magic Window, right? That is correct. Must be very exciting. Oh, it is. I, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm more excited about that than I am my 75th birthday. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, hey, look, uh, uh, I, I'm a few years behind you, but uh, I know what you mean. Uh, you get to a certain age and you're like, yeah, I don't really need another one of those. Well, you need another one of them, but you don't make a big deal out of it. Right, right, right. Just move, it's just <laughs> another day, just another day. Uh, but today is special because, yeah, you have a, a kind of a, a new old album, uh, a bit of r real rock and roll archaeology, a real artifact, because this album was mostly created. It was originally recorded uh, in 1985, right? That's right. So tell us, first of all, I mean, uh, you know, why put an album out uh, from 35 years ago? And, and how did you find the album? Well, uh, I found the album. I was up in my studio kind of tidying up some of the drawers in, 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 the, uh, in the room. And I found some reel-to-reel -reel tapes, a half inch or a quarter inch tape which kind of surprised me. And I, I, I started to think about it and I said, Oh, well, I had a studio in, in the, the house that I had before uh, the one I'm in now. And I, I, 
So I figured it must have been one of my projects that I that I had been working on then. So mm-hmm. and then I started thinking about it. There there should be a lot more. So I went downstairs to a locker, storage locker, and sure enough, I found ten other uh, quarter quarter inch uh, tape uh, reels, and I, I wasn't really sure what was on half of them. Some were marked, some were not. Anyway, I found the one uh, that has become uh, Magic Window, and I looked at the song list, and I said, oh, I think there were some pretty decent songs that uh, came out of there that we were working on. So uh, I didn't want to try and put that on a, on a tape machine because it was 35 years old, have tape all over my house and, and, and ruin what might potentially be uh, something that is worthwhile. I got a friend of mine to kind of look at the situation, and he took them down to L.A. and baked them, which is a process to sort of help old tape get uh, uh, to the point where you can play it if it's going to work at all. Yeah, you have to bring well, back it its uh, elasticity uh, so that you can yeah. uh, 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 play back. Yeah. I like that word, elasticity. <laughs> it has a certain ring to it. Yeah, anyway, it elasticity uh, prevailed, and... Uh, uh, the, the, the thing sounded like we had just finished recording it, and so uh, I worked on some some of the uh, the songs uh, via uh, Pro Tools and did a little of this and a little of that. There wasn't much you, you could really do, but we tightened things up and then had it mastered by the great George Horn, who has uh, been doing that for 50 years, an old friend. And it, it's done, and it's out today. So it, it, amazing! It's a new birthday. It, it's its birthday. It, uh, it's first, <laughs> yeah. and, and, my, and and my my birthday, my seventy fifth. That's great. That's great. Uh, and so uh, the the album uh, Magic Window, uh, ten tracks, um, and uh, yeah, there's sort of a. You know, it's 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 interesting uh, when you find these uh, uh, sort of uh, artifacts that, uh, you know, maybe for one reason or another, uh, didn't see the light of day at the time. But I mean, it's, you know, professionally done. It sounds great. Uh, There's some great songwriting there. There's obviously some great playing on there. And then this is, you know, you coming into your own as a vocalist. Right. Uh, the, uh, that had always been something that I sort of shied away from uh, because I'm behind a set of drums and and I had pretty good singers in front of me, so I didn't really see a need for it. Uh, but if I'm going to write a song, uh, in order to go through the process of songwriting, you have to sing the song to see if, if the melody's working and this and that. And so... Uh, I, I worked uh, on my voice to be able to record these, to be uh, demos, good demos, and uh, they they turned out to be better than that. Yeah, they certainly did. Um, you know, you sound fantastic, uh, and uh, well, the band you. band together uh, uh, sounds fantastic. Um, uh, and it's got a, you know, it's got a little bit of, uh, you know, what you you may call, you know, your. Uh, upbringing uh, through uh, uh, your work with Creedence, there's 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 a little of that sort of Americana feel to it, but it also kind of has that '80s sound to it. I believe you're using Simmons drums uh, on it, which were a big deal at that time, uh, and so it's kind of an amalgamation of uh, uh, of a couple of different things that is a bit of an eye opener when you listen to it. Well, yeah, I, w- I had the Simmons drums and uh, they. 
they were the rage, all the rage back then. So I was, uh, you know, I was definitely with the times there. But they, they've uh, held up through time, and and they, they sound pretty good. I've really kind of enjoyed uh, listening to them and and uh, and see, seeing how they, they you know, they, they were able to fit uh, what we were doing then, because it, that was the time that we were in it at that moment. Yeah, at that time, it was like a, one of those uh, future forward type of uh, inventions uh, that, you know, marked uh, you uh, as, um, uh, you know, doing something different uh, at that moment. Whereas now it's sort of retro because some of those sounds are uh, popular again. Yeah, what you know, what goes around comes around, comes around and it's just, uh, like like the bell bottom pants I have in my closet. Oh, <laughs> they were they were they were cool in the sixties, but the, the, you know that that'll eventually you know it's, they it's did. that circle. Yeah, they came back fashion. in the two thousands. I remember, <laughs> but they did come back. But I looked at it and I said, no, not going there. Been <laughs> there, done that. Got the T-shirt. Right, right, but not the not the album. The album. Album uh, uh, comes around uh, at a great time. Uh, it uh, it fits. Uh, it, it checks a lot of boxes uh, uh, when you get right down to it. Uh, it's good, uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, bluesy music. But uh, you've got a couple of different styles uh, going throughout uh, the album, uh, and uh, and it's just a, it's a fun listen. And uh, you know, it, it it does I think what you want it to, which kind of takes you back to a, a more innocent time than what we're having to go through today. Well, there's no question about that. And and music for me is 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 medicine and or a meditative. Uh, uh, entity, uh, whether it's good times that you're having or bad times that you're having, music always segues in there uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a good place. Yeah. And that's why I, I chose a career in music because I, I'm passionate about it. I, you know, it's what I do. I, 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 I the hair stands up on my arm when, as, you know, in the process as things are going along and you know that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah yeah those those magic moments uh when they arrive uh you know when when somebody hits on something which you know may even start off as a mistake uh you know and everybody goes wait a minute what was that do that again i i know exactly what you mean it's uh i i don't know if you get it pretty much anywhere else other than maybe some other creative uh endeavors well, there, there's nothing like the arts, uh, and you know, unfortunately, uh, in, in the, this day and age, uh, the, the schools are, are kind of pushing the arts uh, yeah. away. And uh, you know, math and science is is, is critical, it's important, and, uh, but, and you need to have it. But yeah, yeah, you know, people always say America was has always been the leader in in, in things, and and that's creativity. Now, creativity doesn't necessarily mean art or music, but it's just using that side of your brain to create things and be a little different, go outside the box, and that applies in business and uh, uh, industry everything. and so many other things. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, we used to have an education system that, you know, did uh, allow, uh, you know, uh, kids to, uh, uh, you know, pursue some of that, whether they, you know, had, you know, the kind of talent that you have uh, didn't matter. Uh, to your point, it opened up um, different uh, 
uh, neural nets, if you will, uh, that could be used later in life uh, in, in, in a creative way. And, you know, we used to have, uh, you know, bands and marching bands and jazz bands and art class and all of that. And, yeah, it's been stripped away from our, our education system over the last 40 or so years into what, what people call STEM, uh, you know, uh, science, technology, engineering, math. And I say, no, it should be STEAM. You're forgetting the art, the A in it. It should be art uh, uh, as well as important equally to those other pursuits. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. No question about it, and and and, and uh, uh, it, it's missed, and and you can actually see where we're losing a little bit of that edge. Oh yeah, uh, and it's something that you know we should all be aware of, and uh, and you know, and I I tell I tell people music class and, and school is not there to, to to have musicians that are going to come out and and have a lifetime career in music. It's to give them that experience of creativity and being able to take this thing home and and drive their parents crazy and uh, <laughs> uh, you know yeah. well to be to learn to be learn, themselves yeah learn yeah. to be themselves and learn to learn to use that other side of the brain yeah yeah um uh without getting too personal um look uh you know uh i have a, a 20 year old and let me tell you in his senior year he uh, decided to uh take a acting uh, class, uh, which then ended up uh, him having the lead in that fall's uh, play. And let me tell you, uh, he was one kid before that, and he was a different kid after that uh, in the most beautiful, exciting way. Yeah. Oh, no question. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate to uh, go out and play in front of fans and who <laughs> yeah. love what, what we do. And, uh, you know, you make hundreds millions of, of people thousands happy. of fans. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, all over the world. And, uh, uh it, it's a, it's a great, it's a great gift. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I always get the, uh, 
the adrenaline rush. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I just retired from from touring uh, yeah, after but, touring twenty five. Revisited, right? Yeah, twenty five years uh, touring every year. Um, it takes you know it takes a toll on the body and and uh, and, and the family and uh, yeah. so it's it's time to. Uh, Change my endeavor to the one I'm on with right now, and that's working with uh, my songs and uh, my publishing and getting uh, getting the, the music out in in, uh, in the real world. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, back to Magic Window real quick. When when you were making that in in '85, um, I, I think you also got pulled into uh, uh, some um, uh, nonprofit work. Uh, that made this kind of get put into uh, that uh, that drawer for for thirty five years, uh, and I, I do want to talk about that because you know you're you you are quite an environmentalist, and I think this was um, that moment where the light bulb clicked in, and you said, "Now nah, I, I got to do something about this." Well, I lived at Lake Tahoe at the time, and uh, we were in a seven year drought, and it was really really a dangerous fire situation. Uh, trees were weakened, and so they they were vulnerable to insect attack. And once the insects uh, did their their uh, their work, uh, sap came to the to the surface of the trees. That's like napalm, uh, and uh, you, you have all these these massive fuels. Uh, one spark, and uh, the the whole thing goes up, and Lake Tahoe becomes uh, an algae. Uh, you know. Bed uh, when it's one of one of the cl- cleanest, clearest lakes in the world. So, yeah. uh, plus the fire is going to going to kill people, animals, habitat, so on and so forth. People were not paying that much attention, and uh, I had also a fire background. My brother was a fireman, and I I was in the Coast Guard, and I, I had some fire training there, and uh, so I took my biological. Uh, uh, prowess and uh, and my firefighting uh, experience and uh, put together a program called Neighbors for a Defensible Space and it's managing fuels. Uh, a, a fuel can't burn if it's not there. But we were living in a very sensitive area with Lake Tahoe and, and, and it was you were very limited to what you could do. You, you couldn't do much uh, without disturbing the soil. And uh, I, I, what I told them is that you want a soil disturbance, you have a fire here, and, and there will be nothing left except uh, inorganic fertilizer that will do all these harmful things. So, anyway, uh, we we figured out ways to do do the uh, the, the cleaning up of, of the forest floor, etc., with uh, a lot of different uh, t- techniques, and uh, we got laws uh, passed and. And uh, this pro- pro- program took a, a good three years to get going, and and uh, it was all volunteer, uh, and uh, it became a full-time job for me. And it was uh, the program was deemed number one in the nation by the Department of Agriculture. So they would send people from Washington up, and I would take them around, showing them how we were doing things, and, uh, and we were connected to the uh, University of Nevada with the, the biological part of it, I had a, a handbook on how to rid the, 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 uh, uh, the, the environment of these uh, excessive fuels and, 
things that actually shouldn't even be there. So uh, I, I put put the, the, the music away for a while and and did that and uh, got was the citizen of the year, um, so deemed by the uh, 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 Chamber of Commerce, and uh, was the only guy to get that award who wasn't a member of the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> but I did have a I did have a mullet at the time. Oh, so, that was that a requirement? So that, well, I, I thought it was. Uh, so, but anyway, it was probably the best thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. You know, that, that wasn't a part of my career in music. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. And now back to the program. Well, as a as a as a Californian, I tip my hat to you. Uh, I know uh, the beauty of Lake Tahoe well, and uh, and I do remember uh, the issue with the uh, clarity of the the water in uh, in the nineteen eighties. And uh, I just didn't know that uh, you were the guy that uh, spearheaded this thing. Yeah, it was uh, a, a labor of love, and, uh, uh, and and we were dealing with uh, neighborhoods and. We, had a civil defense uh, a part of, uh, of the program where I divided the city into 20 sections and found a, someone uh, willing to volunteer to be the block leader in that area. And we, so we took them and gave, gave them uh, uh, information that they had to study and, and uh, be knowledge, knowledgeable uh, about. And uh, uh, it was it was very uh, very very deep. So I got to meet a lot of people in in town, and and uh, and I love firemen. You know, my, uh, I, as I say, my brother is a retired fireman, and, mm-hmm. and uh, their first responders are great. And so it was a it was a, a very uh, heartwarming project, uh, and, and uh, oh, I bet. It, it's still in effect. They still uh, apply fire to the ground now because the fuels have been managed enough to, and fire is a natural culling factor in a forest that's there to keep things in a balance. But when you suppress uh, fire, uh, all those fuels dro- drop to the ground and they're, they're not cleaned away every couple of years with a low level fire. They, uh, they pile up and pile up and become a cataclysmic fire when, when you have uh, certain conditions because you have uh, fuel loads that are, that are not normal. Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, forestry management of the past uh, was uh, basically to just put out a fire wherever it happened. Yeah. But unfortunately, it left uh, you know a building uh, and continual building of fuel, which uh, then created an even bigger problem. And I know there's been uh, some change in that strategy, and I think uh, what you did was help lead that. Yep, that that that's actually true. So uh, I felt pretty good about it, and uh, and the good news is, uh, after all these years, I, I was able to go back to <laughs> where I started, you know, working on the on the project, and yeah. uh, and 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 it's uh, alive and kicking. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go back to the beginning. Uh, uh, from one native Californian to another, you were born 75 years ago today at the end of World War II. Uh, and um, I think uh, your your father was uh, serving uh, the country uh, in the Navy uh, out uh, in the Pacific because uh, I believe he was on the Enterprise, right? 
He was, and that was the uh, the the new big uh, carrier uh, and uh, beautiful ship. It was kind of a, ahead of its time, but it was, that's what happens when you're in a in a world war. You, you know, you have to be ahead of your time to be uh, one up on on the, on the enemy. So, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was a machinist and uh, and a good one, and, and they were, and you know, he had a wife. Uh, two kids and, and, and his his talents uh, got him drafted. So uh, he, he 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 didn't talk much about 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 the war, and I I didn't press him on it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so you I think your your mother is a long comes from a long line of Californians, uh, but your father's a yeah. transplant. So, uh, right. and, and, uh, uh, you were born in Oakland, uh, and, uh, so the East Bay. Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Oh, okay. Uh, uh yeah, Stanford hospital. Stanford hospital. Okay. All right. That's big time. At least today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. T- back then it was surrounded by fruit trees. So, right, right. uh, but, uh, and Stewie, Stewie was born in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Two of my my kids were born in one in Oakland and and two in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So East Bay folks for yeah, sure. Yeah, East Bay folks. But you did grow up in uh, El Cerrito. Yes, which is a little bedroom community in the East Bay. Yeah, just north of uh, Oakland. I think just north of uh, Berkeley. Uh, there. So, right. <clears throat> um, so let's let's start talking about uh, music and 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 rock and roll. And you know, uh, you know, do you do, so forty five? You know, fifty five. I think Elvis uh, shows up. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Uh, one of the the biggest. Uh, uh, impressions of uh, uh, my life. Uh, it was uh, uh, something that was just amazing. Saw him on Ed Sullivan show, and and uh, they had him blocked out from the waist down. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, and, we talk uh, about that in uh, our uh, rock and roll archaeology series. It's uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that that did you know Ed Sullivan did it because he was. He, he was afraid uh, he was taking a big chance. Ed did a lot for rock and roll. He's yeah. one of the, the, the guys, the, the, you know, the good guys that really made a difference. He and Dick Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dick was all, all about music. He had a music show, dance show. But Ed was, a, you know, a variety show guy that brought in the top uh, rock and rollers. Yeah. Um, that's who, he introduced the Beatles and the Rolling yeah. Stones. And, yeah. On and on and on, Elvis. Yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> yourselves, you. I think you guys uh, got yeah, to play uh, the Ed Sullivan show too. We did it twice. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was quite an experience. So anyway, I, I saw that, and I was buying records at the time. I uh, I think I was eleven when when I saw Elvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, I my first record that I bought was uh, "Roll with Me, Henry" by Etta James. I was Ooh. nine. Ooh. And uh, my uh, yeah, and then the second record I bought. And these were seventy eight. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was the medium then. It was Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley, and uh, you know that, yeah. I think that, that that's that a real jungle, jungle rhythm thing. Yeah. You know, had something to do, to do with me eventually going into drums. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, my dad didn't like it. He didn't like the music and told me not to play it when he was around. And so I <laughs> okay. Uh, so I had to sort of 
bide my time to, to listen. And uh, I couldn't turn it up very loud, so I put my ear right next to the, the speaker mm-hmm. in the, the uh, turntable. So uh, by junior high school, uh, you have uh, formed a band uh, with what would eventually become you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, called the Blue Velvets. And I think Stu and, uh, and John were actually in that, uh, that original incarnation, right? That's right. Uh, I saw, uh, John playing, uh, in the music room in, in the eighth grade rock and roll. And I, I had all the, 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 the records that he was playing, Little Richard, Fats Domino and so forth. And I, I, I knew every note that they were playing and he was playing and I'm, you weren't supposed to play rock and roll in the music room, so the teacher was not around. It was forbidden. That, that's what you know was happening in those days. Don't listen to rock and roll. It's going to rot your ruin, brain. Ruin our, <laughs> our, 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 yeah, it's going to rot your brain. You're going to and, and blow your ears out. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Good. Yeah, Sounds that's like what a, I a want. Good time to me. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I came up to him after uh, he stopped playing. I said. That's a fast on my own little Richard. I have all those records. Do you want to start a band? He said, uh, uh, well, actually, I play guitar. I'm looking for a piano player. I said, well, I, kn- I know a guy that has a, a piano in his rumpus room. Uh, his dad's a rich lawyer, so it's a nice piano. And, he, and he's taking piano lessons, and he can, he, he can play piano. That would be Stu Cook. Uh-huh. I didn't ask Stu or his parents if he could do any of that. And uh, you just volunteered and said, straight well, up, right? <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, What do you play? I said, Well, I play drums. Well, I had a drum, I had a snare drum and a bass drum, and the bass drum was a marching bass drum, it wasn't even a, right, 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 you know, for you know, so it was tall and skinny, yeah. But I, I, I started buying uh, one piece at a time, putting together a, dr- a drum set because we once we got to the point where we were playing, uh, I knew I needed a, a, a regular kit, so I saved all my my uh, working money, uh, did garden work, uh, and bought an old set from the 30s. And I had to really just completely dismantle it and rebuild it. But I had, that was my first set, and it was a Slingerland set. And some of the tom-toms had, the, the bottom head were, were tacked on. So that's how old that drum set was. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, the drum set itself was invented in the 1930s. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was an oldie. It was an oldie, but, but, but moldy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you call yourselves the Blue Velvets. Well, well, first of all, who came up with the name? And second of all, how, you know, did you guys get out and get a chance to play in front of the other kids? Well, I, I don't remember exactly who, who came up with the name, but Blue Velvet was was a uh, was a, a song at the time, and we were an instrumental trio, so mm-hmm. no one was singing, and and uh, we, we played all the. There were a lot of instrumentals back in those days, and then we played some songs that had lyrics, but we played them instrumentally. So uh, we were the only band in 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 the East Bay that I knew of. Uh, and so we, we uh, our first gig was at the Boys Club. It wasn't Boys and Girls Club in those days. It was just the Boys Club. And uh, we made five bucks each, and we thought we had hit a gold mine. And it was just, uh, you know, just a great feeling 
playing for our for our classmates, and they were we used to play uh, after school in the gym. Sock hops, they were called. Mm-hmm. So you'd take your shoes off and and hop in your socks. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, do the dance moves of the day. Do do the twist uh, and whatever. Yeah, All right. exactly. And uh, there were there were several dances that were were popular. And then we also would represent our school, uh, playing at other schools, uh, assemblies for other schools. So it was pretty cool. We got we were kind of the kings on campus with 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 that and. Uh, and people loved what we did, and we 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 loved it, and we uh, decided that's what we wanted to do. And we said someday, uh, our goal is to have our someday our songs played on the radio. <laughs> and here we here we are, fifty two years or more after the fact, and they're still playing our songs. So. Yes, um, yes, we are. Yes, mission mission accomplished. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mission more than accomplished. Uh, you know. yeah. uh, so uh, uh, how does uh, Tom Fogarty join the this three-piece? Well, uh, Tom was a singer in a, in a band called Spiderweb and the Insects, and mm-hmm. they were— they were they were a good band. Tom was four years older than we were, yeah. but Tom had the vision of getting a deal, a record deal. And so, in order to do that, you had to go into a recording studio mm-hmm. and cut a couple demos. And in those days, they, the demos weren't tapes; they were uh, called acetates. Acetates, yeah. And they were they were like a, a, a record. forty-five yeah. record, mm-hmm. and it had plastic sp- sprayed on on this aluminum disc. And then uh, it was recorded with tape, but the tape would be hooked up to a lathe that was uh, would you would put in uh, literally as it was a lathe that would cut the groove yeah, right into it uh, in the, in the record. Mm-hmm. So that's how they they, they worked. But they were very very uh, weak in terms of uh, uh, playability. Their, uh, playability because it was an extra soft plastic. So. Uh, uh, after about 10, 15 plays, uh, you know, the high end starts going away. And, <laughs> oh, and of course, right. it, whenever anyone came to my, my house, I would say, do you want to hear our record? That's our band. So I, I played it probably 100 plus times or, or so. Uh, I still have that acetate. And I, you I do? Put it onto my, yeah, put put the, 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 uh, the recording on on my iTunes. So I, I, I can play the first uh, time we were ever in the studio uh, at will. It's it's kind of cute. Yeah, without de- without degrading uh, now uh, the uh, the the signal. Uh, that's that's pretty amazing. So, Cosmo, that needs to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, I've I've thought about it. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to do something with it, uh, but uh, right now my my focus is. Uh, is magic window. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, so the blue velvets uh you now now it's, you know, the uh early inception of CCR. Uh the four members are the four members, uh, but you guys change your name to the Gollywogs. Interesting choice. Well, it wasn't our choice. <laughs> we hated it. Uh but the uh, the owner of the record company it was a small jazz label, by the way. We really picked a beauty there, uh, and uh, uh, 
he, he put us in these absolutely ridiculous uniforms. And the Gollywogs were South African dolls that were popular in England back in, you know, like 100 years before. So he figures that everybody in, in America will know that that was the case. And nobody knew. Really? He was the only one. <laughs> no. I mean, who, have you ever heard of a, no. a Gollywog doll? I, I know. I, yeah, and, I, I literally now know what a Gollywog is. Yes, for the first time yeah, in my life. And, <laughs> And the, 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 it was we wore white fuzzy hats, and, and it, it was stupid white uh, shirts with red uh, paisleys on them, uh, green suede vest, and patchwork quilt pants, and they were matching uniforms. Yeah. Oh my God! I could tell when I had played a gig because the next day. I couldn't even turn my head because I was playing with my head down all night. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I didn't want anyone to see me. (laughs) All right. So, uh, I, I take it. This is pre Beatles, uh, February 9th, 1964. Uh, the, the golly were like in, uh, 66. Oh, okay. This uh, was 60, just... 67. I was, it was down. down so it was, it was chasing, had... chasing the, uh, the aftermath of the, the Beatles and, and what have you. So, so, uh, right. the Gollywogs was, uh, a vain attempt at maybe like the monkeys. Yeah. And we felt like uh, monkeys in, in those uniforms. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, actually, I, I would have rather had a monkey uniform than, than that, what, what we were wearing. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was so it was so silly, and and then you you try you spend your your break time t- trying to explain to people why you're wearing Where? this hideous <laughs> outfit. Uh, and that is not the conversation you're supposed to be having after the show. No, no. no. <laughs> well, uh, at that time, due to. Uh, a little conflict on the other side of the world that most Americans couldn't even spell uh, called Vietnam. Um, I think both you and John end up uh, serving in the military as opposed to getting drafted. Right. That's correct. John went into the Army Reserve and I went into the Coast Guard Reserve. So that meant uh, you did your basic uh, and then uh, you uh, were, uh, you know, you had your two weeks uh, a year and then like one week in a month. Well, yeah, you you, take, you do your basic and then your basic training. It's a, it's a six month deal. So mm. you're half the time you're going through boot camp and then the other half the time you're, you're, you're whatever that were learning your skill is where yeah. you go. Yeah. I, I uh, was, uh, uh, there was a t- almost three-year waiting list to get into the Coast Guard Reserve, and I had taken my Army physical, and I had gotten my notice of acceptability, which meant within two weeks I'm going into the Army or the Marines being drafted. And uh, there was a, a fellow, and in, in, uh, I was going to San Jose State at the time. Uh, Sui was going there as well. And uh, a guy from our hometown was a senior named Tom Van Amberg, a huge guy, Six four, big big guy, played baseball at San Jose State, and, and he was in the Coast Guard Reserve, and so I went up to him very naively, and, and said, "Tom, can you get me into the Coast Guard Reserve? Uh, you know, I've got here, here's my my letter. I'm, I'm going to be drafted. Coast Guard Reserve's got a three year waiting list, man. You 
uh, everybody wants to be in the Coast Guard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, well, you know, here, this is what I got. And he said, well, look, do you play baseball? I said, no. And here's the deal. You know, my parents, uh, I'm a real good athlete. And, uh, uh, and uh, um, but my parents both worked. And so I would play sports and then I'd come home and play my drums. Well, my parents were coming in looking for that Manhattan uh, that they wanted to, 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 to drink. So they said, you have a choice. You play sports after school or you play your drums after school. Well, I made the right choice and, and, and picked the drums. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't, that way I only played one year of football and, and track and, and I had to leave and coaches were giving me shit. Why aren't you coming out? And, and I'm playing drums. So they, they, they were pretty hard on me. Uh, fucking with me, you know. Yeah, yeah. From, from you need to be out here on the field. So, anyway, uh, he said, "We're going to go down. I know the coach. We're going to go down, and uh, don't you don't say anything. I'm I'm going to lie, and uh, so we'll see what what happens. So we go down. We meet the coach, and and uh, he was also the f- football coach, and so he he did baseball and football. And he's, Tom says, well, this guy has you know, been uh, uh, all league in, in high school. Uh, and, oh, wow. Uh, he's playing fresh freshman ball now at, at San Jose State. He's going to be playing varsity uh, next year. Uh, on and on it goes, you know. And so uh, he, he gets on the phone and says, I'm sending a man up. His name is Clifford Swearingman now. And what Tom said is, don't whatever you do. Once you're in, don't go out. Don't go out for football because he says this is a brass knuckles league. It's a military league. He says, as big as I am, I, I wouldn't play in it because you know it's just it's, brutal. It's it's brutal. Yeah. So so I said he says, but once you're in, you know they're not they can't kick you out. You just don't make you know you know you don't make the team. So I, I think, holy shit. So they go in and I'm <laughs> sworn in. Now. in right. I'm sworn in and I, and I tear my, 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 my letter up from, uh, you know, from the army. And uh, then I, I start thinking about, you know, God, I, I don't like lying. And I, now I'm taking somebody else's spot. What's going to happen to that guy? So I worked out for two months before I had to go in. So I would be, because I decided I'm going to play football. Yeah. So I worked out and, and I'm 150 pounds, and, but I'm very fast, very, very fast. And I'd always worked out and it was a strong and, and had, had athleticism. So we go out and I'm playing against all, you know, all college guys. The way, yeah, the, way the system works. Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, the way the system worked is the coach would write to college coaches and said, "Somebody, uh, you have anybody on the military bubble? I can put him in the reserves. Uh, they'll, they'll, they, and they will play football, but it won't count against their eligibility. And they'll, you know, the, they'll just basically miss a miss a season. But you know, it, it's that or the, the guy goes over to Vietnam. So." So the level of uh, athletes that we had on our team were better than any of the, the teams that we played, but that also meant that I'm going up against guys, you know college athletes, guys that yeah. have you know played all their lives. So okay, 
make a long story short, we go out. I go out, and uh, I I, uh, I work my way to to first string, and I, I led the league in interceptions, and we were an undefeated championship team. Really, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And because I had because of that, I had the speed. I was also on special teams. I was the outside. Uh, guy that that would maintain the the, the sidelines. So I would be usually the first one down. So I did a lot of open field tackles on the kickoffs and and, and punts. So yeah, I uh, it, it was uh, it was awesome. Well, fantastic! That's amazing. So you do your six months basic. Uh, you're uh, you're you're trained uh, now in your job at the the Coast Guard. Uh, I take it John's doing the same thing uh, with the uh, with the Army Reserves, and you guys are able to continue playing as a band, right? And uh, so, get me to how we go from the Gollywogs to what you guys call yourselves, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Well, you know, we hated the Gollywogs, as I uh, <laughs> yes, you made very plain. <laughs> we were very happy to to be in the process of getting rid of that name. Mm. So we had a legal pad with you know uh, three pages of names and. Tom Fogarty had a, 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 a fellow that he worked with named Credence Newball, a guy from South Africa. And Credence Newball, we thought that, man, that's that's a cool man. Then we thought about it, and I said, if we name the band after after him, we'll have to give him some sort of compensation. Right. We don't want to do that. <laughs> but Credence, by, by, by definition, in the dictionary is truth, honesty, and yeah, and that's what we were doing. That's what we were doing with our music. There was mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, and you know, the the the, the re- owner of the record company always kept telling us, "You got to have a gimmick. You got to have a gimmick." Yeah. That's where the Gollywog sh- shit came from. There's a gimmick. Is this, oh, is this Saul's ends? Is this Saul at this point? No, it's Max Weiss. Max Weiss. The Weiss brothers owned it. Saul was a. Uh, uh, a salesman for for the company. He for was, there was okay. no owner, ownership mm-hmm. uh, with him at that time. So uh, anyway, uh, Cool Clear Water was a combination of two things. It was a beer commercial, and it had a nice visual, but it was also about uh, habitat, uh, ecology uh, that I brought to the fore. And so that was the, the Clearwater part. Mm-hmm. And then revival was a revival of ourselves. No more goofy outfits. You know, we'll do what we want to do and, and, uh, and not, not uh, have to be silly or uncomfortable uh, when we're performing. Yeah. So you, you have this new band, new name. Um, and uh, did, the, did the music style change much from where the Blue Velvets started to the Gollywogs to now CCR? Sure, because uh, the music changed from pr- pretty much a rock and roll uh, and or blues, if you, know, you will, on that side. But then uh, there was the psychedelic side yeah. when, when we were... Uh, you know, post Gollywog era, mm-hmm. and that wasn't what we wanted to do. Uh, we on the first album, we had a few little things that were, you know, sort of made hinting, nods hinting to at that. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, yeah. but uh, 
we weren't certainly weren't going to cave to it because our whole thing was playing the style of music that we played. And our peers laughed at us. They called us the Boy Scouts of Rock and Roll. Said we'd never make it in a straight <laughs> band playing the kind of music we we were playing. They laughed at us, and you know, last laughs are pretty. Pretty, pretty cool. Oh, so. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And, and let's talk a little bit about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, you guys are uh, developed out of uh, the East Bay, uh, El Cerrito. And, uh, you know, you have the free speech movement going on just down the street at Berkeley. You have the hippies over in the, the hate. Uh, you even have the beginnings of the Black Panthers in Oakland, which you know, says a lot about the diversity of, of the Bay area, you know, what, you know, what, yes. what were your experiences, uh, at that time as this, you know, summer of love is, uh, is beginning, which, you know, uh, really is mostly 1966 and the worst of it is actually 1967, but, but this is all happening as, uh, you know, CCRs, uh, you know, coming into being. Right. Uh, and a lot of social, uh, social um, activities going on and, and you know there was still segregation in the south yeah uh, and i mean it, it, so we we were against the war we didn't like it uh, we didn't like that mainly that people were being drafted people we had friends that were drafted and never came home yeah. and we had gone through you know that that process and we're fortunate enough to be able to sidestep it and but uh you know we for example uh fortunate son is really not an anti-war song as much as it's uh, the in, inequities of the draft mm-hmm. and and yeah. it's, it's it's a class song who does mm-hmm. the dirty work who's going it's not the rich guy's kid he's got a you know he's got some daddy's going to get him out you know well how about something wrong with your 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 feet with whatever it comes right to. yeah oh Deal bone with. spurs right uh bone spurs, yeah. bone spurs yeah we know who so you're talking words, about <laughs> yeah so uh uh that that's where, where that song's about but if there's a war about vietnam that song's in it i i would uh yeah 99 of the time <laughs> yes it so, is you know it, it, and then run through the jungle. Of course, yeah, is another one. But uh, yeah, we so we were active politically that way, and uh, we, we were able to get to the masses with, with singles. Whereas all the other bands, you know, the the hippie bands, as John called them, yeah, uh, were pre- preaching to the choir. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they 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 didn't really get the message out that people that were. were were around listening to it were already there yeah so so were you guys friendly with uh you know bands like uh, the grateful dead and quicksilver messenger jefferson airplane and things like that that were happening uh, over on the other side of the bridge no not really we weren't accepted we um, as i said we were they called us the boy scouts of rock and roll we weren't doing drugs and, and we were making four, you know, two and a half minute songs. So they thought we were square. And mm-hmm. and uh, but I got a real good one. Spencer Dryden, the drummer from yeah. the Jefferson uh, Airplane. I went to a, a Fillmore a reunion, twenty year reunion, and uh, I ran into him, and we were talking. And he says, "You know, we we put you guys down and, and gave you a hard time, and." 
and, and all of that. He said, but it was re- pure jealousy. We did everything we could possibly do, and, and so did the Dead, so did all these other bands, to have a single. We wanted a single worse than anything, and it never happened. So you guys were not only putting singles out, but you were putting double-sided singles out, and that, you know, so that's why we were giving you shit. Yeah, what was called the double A side. Yeah, you had a couple of those. <clears throat> really, the only other band that could keep up is those guys from Liverpool. Right, that's right. That's amazing. So, so um, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. You know, we have, uh, and, you know, I'm speaking to you from San Francisco, uh, and, you know, the uniqueness of uh, the town itself and, you know, to these little pockets, uh, even, in, even in the city, um, you know, would have these unique neighborhoods. Uh, and then you had the East Bay. And we, we make a point of this in our Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast uh, when we talk about the San Francisco scene, that it wasn't just one scene. It was multiple scenes. You know, you had Sly and the Family Stone, which was completely different right, than you right. would get from the hippies. And then you have you guys right. up there uh, doing your thing, which is just, uh, you. You're, th- this band is one of the most interesting in the history of rock and roll because... Um, they, you guys, Credence, sound like you <laughs> were all born, raised, uh, in complete authenticity in the swamps of the bayous of Louisiana. How does that happen? That's right. Well, it, it, the radio and, and also the diversity of San Francisco, you know, for the, yeah. The, the the in World War Two you had the the, uh, the shipyards in Richmond yeah and of course they were building ships and repairing ships in the war effort and so they, they needed a labor force to to handle it so a lot of people came from the south and what they did do is they brought their music with them so right. we were able to listen to real country music, uh, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, on, on AM radio, we could listen to real rhythm and blues, uh, not soul music, but the real, the real deal, Jimmy Reed and, and, and people like that. We, we would sneak into, to places where those guys like that were playing. And, uh, we got to the point where we, we couldn't, because of, you know racial tensions, but uh, for a while, you know, and we were only in our teens, we were you know, fourteen, fifteen years old, uh, sneaking into some of these places to to see these great blues guys. So we we were fortunate with the melting pot uh, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, to, to be exposed to all the real music of of the South, and we liked it. Yeah, I, I, I would so say so. That's, you know, so we listen to top 40 radio because, you know, you, you get Elvis and you get a, a, a mixture of, you know, radio programming was a lot different. You can get the, the flying nun or the singing nun. And then, and you know, and then James Brown and, and then, you know, Percy Faith and, and, uh, Fats uh, Domino. So there was a quite a broader, much broader uh, a, a playlist. Uh, but you know, radio was was not so uh, so uh, f- fractured, and, and I guess it's also more more bandwidth or something. You know, where there's many, many, many choices. So it's it's 
uh, it's changed programming for sure. So you guys do your first album, uh, and uh, out of it, uh, a couple of songs, uh, you know, come to mind. I mean, Porterville, I think, uh, is one to talk about. But really, the the stellar cut on uh, the first album is an old Dale Hawkins song uh, that you yeah. guys made your own called Suzy Q. That's and right. you want to talk about an introduction to... Um, you know, this thing that we now call Swamp Rock um, is that beat, uh, which uh, is, I believe, faded up uh, slowly uh, as the song builds uh, and then turns into this eight-minute jam gem. Right. That's, that's correct. And uh, back in the day when we were playing five sets a night, six nights a week material was, you know, was yeah. hard because uh, you know, you're playing so much and you can repeat a couple of songs. We had a few little tricks. <laughs> with your paper. A couple of, we had a break. We'd drop a couple of little folded pieces of paper on the stage and we'd come back and say, Oh, got a request for walking the dog. <laughs> I'm going to have to play on, it again. No, <laughs> yeah. There was nothing on the, on the paper. <laughs> yeah. I know. Put it those in our pocket yeah. and dropped it out there. Yeah. But also, uh, you know, it was a it was a rockabilly song. It was yeah. totally different beat. Yeah, totally different beat. Mm-hmm. I never tell you the truth. I never really liked it that much. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you could stretch a song out from two two and a half minutes to like ten minutes, uh, it's like three. You know, you're three three to three to one. Uh, so you're 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 stretching your material, and and. It was also that beat was uh, very very danceable. In fact, I don't know how, how people can stand still when when that beat is playing, and 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 it's a quarter note beat. I came up with it uh, listening to uh, "Too Proud to Beg," "Ain't Too Proud to to, to Beg," yeah, by The Temptations, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I I I added uh, a foot pattern that was different, but the quarter note. It, it opens up space, and what it does is it lets the guitars move with between the backbeats, uh, and 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 the rest is open. The bass drum is doing the the uh, the, the eighth notes against the the four quarter notes on with my right hand. If that makes any sense to you, yes. But it really, you know, when you hear that by itself. It, Sounds like a freight train. Oh yeah, it is. that's a single beat. As opposed to the two as we might say. Yeah, the eighth note beat would be. Now the quarter note beat is. There's so much difference in there. There's so much more power, and that's just my right hand. I got the the bass drum playing the opposite beats in between the quarter notes so and and yep and then are you gonna make me start dancing here doug well that's i'm working on it (laughs) yeah there will be cameras there will be cameras (laughs) so that 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 changed that song uh, totally and uh the, the, the commerce in a bar is all about people dancing yep. why is that they want them dancing because then they get hot and, and when they get hot they buy beer that's right 
That's right. Yep. That's the trick. And that's, that's the gig. It's that simple. Yeah. So yep. uh, they, the, the, every, everybody would, would request, request that song because they, it was, they could dance to it and uh, they liked that. And then the owners really liked it. They'd say, Hey, why don't you play that Susie Q thing? We, we need to sell some more beer. So, but that's, uh, you know, uh, that's from listening to, to top 40 radio because I taught myself to play really, uh, I would buy records, but uh, I couldn't buy too many because they were expensive. But uh, 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 top 40 radio means the songs are successful. That those are songs that have charted and they may not all be what, what I, uh, you know, inspired to play, but you know, you were going to get the, the, the top 10, top 20 songs and you're hearing the best of the best. So you, I would listen to what the drummers were doing and try to imitate, emulate uh, parts and part, parts that I couldn't uh, play technically because I was self-taught. I would try to work around it and get the, the, the feel that, that the original beat was giving me. It's all about feel. I'm a feel player. So, uh, and, and certain things work with, with certain songs, just like, that beat work transformed Suzy Q from a kind of a dorky, uh, you know, uh, uh, hillbilly song to this deep, <laughs> dark monster. Yes. And, uh, and, and so that's that's how I, you know, uh, every note that that's, uh, that's uh, that that goes by has value, and anything that comes after that note has to have at, at a minimum the Equal, same value as value. The note. yeah yeah the space and then yeah. then if you can you have something that comes a turnaround or a movement that you're it's all about movements then that has to actually be a notch up mm-hmm. because you're making it you're changing the beat you're changing that groove and it's making taking it to a different place uh so it's all about value of the note. And so I had all these parts. And then as we got you know, deeper into uh, becoming a recording band, when we were jamming, you were able to you can create your own. Uh, and, and it's based on feel. And we're coming here, and, and then I was so most of the time I would just not think about anything unless John had a specific thing. Play this, and a lot of times when he would say play this, I'm going, I'm going man, that, that I mean I can do better than that. So I would take stuff home with me uh, that I would record on a little Sony cassette machine, put it on my four track at home at night, and work parts out. For example. Uh, uh, who will stop the rain? Mm. There's there are snare drum ro- rolls in there. They're not actual rolls. It's, it's almost like a triplet uh, across between. It, 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 well, it, it ends up sounding like and but it's they're like two bar ideas or two note ideas. Mm-hmm. four note ideas and and John hated it and I said you know without it when we when you tell me uh, and I you tell me to play it uh, when I play it without it I'm my body is just cringing because it sounds like a, 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 an uninteresting 
a ballad almost, you know. But this beat sets up your vocal. And, and anyway, we argued and we argued. And finally, I just, I just held my ground. And he said, okay, just do it your way. Do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but what bottom line, he knew that it, it, it made it better, but he couldn't, he couldn't just say that. <laughs> and I, I did that a lot. I mean, you know, yeah, you guys were famous for, uh, for some of that. So, uh, you know, as we go along, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, your lifelong friends, you, you all, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, started in junior high school, the, the, the same four yeah. people it's, you know, and that's, that's a that's a long haul and you know it's uh, you know and as you know uh, and any of us musicians know when you're in a band uh, you know you're basically in a marriage with more than two people uh, if there's that's more right. than two people in it and so you know you're gonna you're gonna have those days uh, and and people are gonna you know have all kinds of agendas and the longer you go the more the agendas grow so um, right. So, so the first album uh, doesn't quite get you in the top forty, but um, you know, you guys are now uh, nationally known. Um, you know, obviously, Susie Q uh, was, I think, the highest charting um, song from the album. Plus, it was yeah. this big long. But I think there was a there was a radio cut uh, as well uh, at the time. Uh, and so, what was what was the first bit of fame for you guys uh, there in nineteen sixty eight? Well, it was it was it was Suzy Q, of course, and mm -hmm. and uh, it that got us. Uh, you, I think also kind of charted. Well, it it went to fifty three and and died. Mm -hmm. I call it fifty three with an anchor. <laughs> uh, we, we 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 had high hopes for it, but it it it, it just didn't cut the mustard. Uh, the the next album had to have an original single. Uh, or we would be a, a one-hit wonder playing a cover song. Really? And so, we, yeah, we thought that, you know, because Suzy Q had the, that quarter note groove, and Born in the Buyer to this day is my favorite Creed song. And, and it has that quarter note groove, but the bass drum pattern is, is not as constant. It, it has accents in it because the song is different and, and, and the, the guitar parts... Uh, in the song, uh, I, I accent those. So, uh, but anyway, we thought this is a natural. And uh, in those days, they had uh, uh, song pickers, and yeah. uh, they had sheets sheets that they would uh, sell. And uh, Bill Drake was kind of the guy, guru. He was the main guy. He's the one that said Susie Keel is a hit. And that, so, without him, because our label didn't know anything. It was, but it was radio that that made us happen. And anyway, a quick aside there. So we we put Bayou out there, and, and it was a turntable hit. We got airplay, but we didn't get sales. And if you you don't get sales, you don't you know you don't move up in the charts. It's it's, it's airplay and and, yeah. and sales. Yeah. So he, Bill Drake and in, in his in his uh, in his wisdom sends out a. a one of his sheets and, 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 and what he said about us, he says, you've got the right record. You just have to turn it over. And proud oh, Mary was on the other uh, side. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how's, right. how's that for a story? <laughs> 
Yeah. So turn it over. Okay, so so um, I got I got to ask man, about Proud then, Mary. Then the top blew off. Yeah. Yeah, so um uh I mean it, it's 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 your guys' song um but uh uh, not not unlike Otis Redding and R-E-S-P-E-C-T, um, really, that song is owned by a woman, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I'm sure. What was it, what was it like the first time you saw Tina Turner do? Uh, <laughs> well, it was it was uh, awe inspiring. I mean, we just said, God damn! And she was giving head to the microphone. And we were in Utah. <laughs> we were in the in the land of the Mormons, and they came to you know our our audience. They were in suit and ties. The, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, all blonde, all blonde hair, <laughs> suit and ties. And Tina and Tina's Tina's got the giving this thing. The, the, and you could actually see people turning red in the dark. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know. They, I mean, it was. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they were going to stop the show. In fact, I think at one point they said, you know, she can't can't do that. But uh, we ended up kicking them off. We were supposed to do, I think, eight shows with them. We only ended up doing two because uh, Ike was beating Tina at yeah, night. Yeah, doing, yeah. Doing, and then he, then he listed one of our songs and said, this is my, my new song that I just wrote. And it was a song. <laughs> forget what song it was. I mean, it was a direct lift. You know, and John said, that's it. Yeah, you know, this, we're this, out of here. This guy yeah, yeah. yeah he, he can't. Yeah. We got to get him out of here. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, she did a terrific job. And it, and it was at that time, her, her and really, one of her biggest hits of her career. Oh, uh, yeah. To this day, it, uh, you know, I mean, uh, although I think she's now retired from the stage uh, because she is 80. Um, but uh, not too long ago, this still was, you know, the prime spot uh, in her show was her uh, starting slow and then yep. just turning it into a barn burner. Uh, every oh, time yeah. I can, I can watch that thing just over and over and over again. Um, just in yeah, electrifying she, she, in, in a performer. Yeah. She blew the doors off yeah. of it. No yeah. question about it. So proud Mary, uh, uh, you know, born on the Bayou, obviously. Um, uh, as we said, the, uh, the double a side there, uh, in the end. Um, but, uh, that begins this year, 1969, which is, the year of CCR, uh, Bayou Country, right. Green River, Willie and the Poor Boys, three albums all released in a single year. And you are also the top touring act in 1969. How in the yeah. hell were you guys able to accomplish this? Uh, we were able to accomplish it because we were a straight and sober band. I mean, every, everything we did was, was, was without drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. it was uh and, and the reason for that is when we were poor and still uh, hadn't made it we went to the Fillmore to see the dead and the airplane we wanted to see what the big bands in, in the in the uh bay area were, were doing so we went and they they got, were all were getting they all got you could see they were getting fucked up 
and then when they played, I mean, they couldn't couldn't. They weren't even in tune. I mean, yeah. they couldn't find yeah. a groove to save their ass. <laughs> and we're going, Jesus Christ. So on the floor of the Fillmore, we put our hands in, you know, like you do, yay, team, go. And we said, you know, we made our pack, no no uh, drugs or alcohol uh, ever. You know, not just at gigs, but every day when we're in practicing or, or jamming, whatever. Uh, zero. We're a straight. If we can't get high on the music, what are we doing? Right. So we we did that and 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 stuck with that. Not to say that you know we didn't have a, a, a joint after a show that once we were done. But uh, you know we were we just it didn't work for, for us. So that was another reason why they called us the Boy Scouts of Rock and Roll. Right. Right. So rock and roll, yeah. rock and roll archaeology calls 1969 uh, peak America and peak rock and roll, and you guys are without doubt uh, right there. I mean, you know, it's maybe you and Jimi Hendrix. Uh, you know, uh, you know the Beatles are certainly uh, in contention, though they're not touring uh, and sort of beginning to wind down as we know now. Uh, you know, you have the Rolling Stones, which are an up and coming band and obviously their tour in 1969 which uh, ends with the debacle of Altamont is uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, something to talk about but really you know when it comes to, to record sales nobody beats you you guys are peak uh, rock and roll there it must have just felt wonderful it did feel wonderful and uh, uh, you know there was a, a little we, we were the first ones to outsell the Beatles uh, and but in fairness to the Beatles, their their career was on the downside, <laughs> yeah. and ours was like Just a like a rocket ship. Yeah, yeah. So uh, th- th- therein lies the difference. But still, you know, somebody had to somebody had to, to do it to fill that void. Yep, and uh, that would be us. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So 1969, again, uh, you know, there's just so much going on, so much to talk about uh, with that. Like I said, three albums, Bayou Country, Green River, Willie and the Poor Boys. Uh, And then uh, there's this little festival in upstate New York that uh, you get a call uh, and they really, really want you guys to uh, to headline one of the, the nights of this thing. Right. Right. That's right. That would be Woodstock, and uh, quite honestly, uh, if, if we didn't uh, take the the uh, that gig, I don't think there would have been a Woodstock. My point is, my my point is that all the big acts were sitting on the sidelines. They were waiting for some one of the biggies to say yes. Had we not said yes, mm. I don't think I don't think it would have happened. Uh, quite honestly. Uh, when we said yes, as soon as we said yes, they all jumped in. Right, right. Well, again, as we said, the biggest band in the world in 1969. Uh, usually, uh, you know, everybody follows the lead. And uh, sure enough, you guys signed. You know, the funny thing is, is that most people don't really remember Credence at <laughs> Woodstock. Uh, because We're in the movie. <laughs> you're not in the movie because most people, they're concept of Woodstock is 
uh, the movie, and which comes out uh, a, a year later, uh, along with uh, with the album of which you are not on uh, as well. Um, why right. why did that why did that happen? I mean, I, you know, I, I think I, I, you know. Funny enough, we've mentioned the dead a couple of times. You guys did go on right after the dead. You're supposed to be the headliner uh, for yeah. Saturday night, but if I remember uh, correctly. Uh, they went up, uh, and to your point, uh, in their usual uh, inebriation, uh, and uh, they noodled around for uh, far too long. In fact, they went long beyond their uh, their allotted time, uh, which you know was supposed to be you know a, a short, quick set to keep moving because so many acts were on uh, the bill, and they broke the stage. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, is that right? Yeah, we were a, a, a bit pissed at, at that whole thing. They they went way way over. They did a forty five minute version of "Turn On Your Love Light." Yeah. Like I say, yeah. They were, they were, oh my god. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, yeah. And you're was, putting they're putting the, yeah. they're putting the audience to sleep, and you guys are yeah. supposed. You know, you're a high energy rock and roll act here. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, uh, and and I think you guys did come on stage with a bit of a chip on your shoulder, right? That's right. And, uh, and a you lot know, of things weren't working. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you were in the dark. You, the lights weren't quite working correctly. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, we were in the dark. There was uh, other technological problems with you know, rain and electronics. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially in 1969. Not, not a good combo. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, somebody could actually die at that time, right? Uh, yeah, know, that's so, right. Yeah, I think there had been a few electrocutions, uh, slight electrocutions earlier, but uh, yeah. things could have got really bad. Uh, I know that. But you guys come out on fire which is crazy because you know it's i believe it wasn't until the 40th anniversary that anybody got to hear any of credence's uh set and i think three uh songs were released at the for the 40th anniversary and that was the first time people got right. to hear and uh, and that taste was like wait a minute they sound great why weren't you a part of the uh, the album and the movie well, because John didn't want it, and uh, he, you know, he said we we wanted it, and he, but he, he his answer was he didn't think we played well, and uh, and then he said uh, we're we're no, we're number one, we don't need it. True, uh, at the moment, but as we know now, uh, you know that is a cultural yeah. milestone. Uh, and, yes. uh, without you guys being a part of it, it is kind of incomplete. Uh, luckily we finally were able to get the full set, uh, last year for the 50th anniversary. Uh, right. and, uh, and boy, if, if you doubt me, just go and listen for yourselves and you'll see that, uh, that, uh, you know, you, you should have been counted in the uh, the movie and the experience uh, and the remembrance, same as um, like you know Santana uh, and uh, Sly and the Family Stone and the Who and Jimi Hendrix, which are you know the big standouts, uh, maybe with CSN right. uh, and Y as well uh, in there, uh, that are you know the, you know that 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 made that moment. You guys were just as important, and you put on just as good of a set as those guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. So, 
1969, uh, was that was that the first? Did you guys play Ed Sullivan that year as well? We played him tw- twice. Yeah, yeah. It was the first time in '69. So you played it twice yeah. in '69. So, so yeah. it is three albums. Uh, you know, the you've knocked the Beatles off uh, as the top-selling rock act. Uh, you're you're now headlining Woodstock, whether we remember it or not. Uh, and you're now on Ed Sullivan twice. What was, what was the first time? I mean, I mean, you saw as we as we talked about earlier, you saw uh, Elvis uh, on on Ed Sullivan. You you saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Um, I mean, to get the call and and you know go to uh, those uh, CBS studios must have been just. A, a lifelong um, uh, uh, pursuit and uh, coming true, huh? Oh, yeah. Sullivan was, I mean, that was the show in the world, uh, top, top television show in the world. It was a, a big deal, and uh, uh, it, uh, it ended up being pretty comical in, in the end. Why was it? Why was it so funny in the end? Well, the last rock and roll band that had played, and I think it might have been a month before, the Doors. was the Rolling Stones. Oh, the Rolling Stones. Oh. The Rolling Stones. Mm. And, and they were assholes. Yeah. They got drunk. They threw their beer cans in the toilet, plugged it up. They were rude. And uh, you name it, they did it. And here we come. We're yes or no, sir. We don't have a manager. Uh, you know, we're, we're there to work. And uh, so... We were, were there at nine in the morning, and and uh, this little guy with bloodshot eyes, named Eddie, uh, I think it was Eddie. Anyway, uh, he was the I think the stage manager. And anyway, he meets us and gives us this rundown, and, and he said, you know, we can cut you out anytime we want, right up to showtime. So you you better not. You know, <laughs> act like the, the Rolling line. Stones. <laughs> we, said, we, we, I, we said we're here to work. We're yes sir, no sir. You know, I mean, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're not going to do anything like that. So, anyway, uh, it's, it's we, we've, we're getting ready for uh, dress rehearsal, and Ed's there for dress rehearsal, and they said if he likes you he'll motion you over to come see him. And so we're going, Oh God, I hope he motions us over. Well, we're in our naivety. We, we were in the headliner spot, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and then Topo Gigio closes it out, you know, <laughs> and says goodbye to the kitty stuck the kids in bed. So anyway, we, uh, we did the, the, our set. And of course he loved it. He calls us over and, and he says, oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. He says, hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to ask you uh, some questions. So when you come off the, the, your little set here, uh, be, you, you'll be in this order. So he gets everybody's name and then writes, uh, uh, you know, the question down. And uh, so then he goes off to lunch and they make us stay uh, and, and practice getting off the stage to, to to come over and be in in the perfect in the line, order right for the for the in, for the questions mm-hmm. so we had it after 10 minutes we said nothing we didn't complain we were hungry but we we, we did it for an hour well Ed leaves and he goes to his favorite haunt and has between 10 and 15 anisets as it turns out 
So all these goofy uh, uh, antics that he made on stage, and I don't know show, and slurring his words and <laughs> kind of wobbling around. He was shit-faced. Oh, my God. Shit-faced. So, uh, and anyway, Eddie said, uh, told us, you know, he says, you got to watch Ed, he drinks. Well, boy, did he ever. And then when, when Eddie said that, he took a flask out of his pocket and took a hit. I mean, <laughs> I think they all drank. <laughs> So, okay, now we're, now, you know, let me tell you, there were some nerves going on to, on the Ed Sullivan show. I mean, it's live. 30 million people are watching. My grandmother's watching. You know, <laughs> don't fuck this one up. Right. And uh, so we, we, we did it, and we, we nailed it, and we come over. Of course, we're in, in perfect order. And Ed is really uh, getting lively and animated. And so as we come over, he reaches his right right arm and comes around in front of us and grabs me by the head and comes up with his left. And he's got John or Tom uh, in his other hand. Well, we're out of order. Oh, all, the, all, all this practice. All right. This, For that, nothing. Yeah. We're out of order. So he's calling me John. <laughs> oh, and I said, geez. no, no, I'm Doug. <laughs> and then he, he, he tried to say Credence Clearwater Revival. Couldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, you know, we're, our work is done. We've done everything to a T. We're straight, sober. We, you know, we, we're, we're, we're done. And this buffoon has fucked everything up. And I'm breathing, I'm, I'm smelling his breath. And I mean, it's just reeking of alcohol. Yeah. And so we, we, they had, uh, they put us on the fifth floor dressing room, which is uh, the, 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 the highest dressing room. And there was no elevator in the Sullivan Theater. And so now we were trying not to just bust up laughing in his face, but it was, it was pretty hard not to. And uh, so we run up the stairs and hit the door and fall on the floor, and we laughed for t 10 minutes hysterically. <laughs> and so then, then, then between, between – between that time and the time, the next time we played, he got a DUI. Oh. And so sober uh, he was dead, dead sober the next time around. He wasn't near as much fun. <laughs> well, now, Diggers, everybody's going to have to go back and uh, YouTube the uh, CCR on uh, Ed Sullivan uh, there. Uh, and, and, and now that we know the full story. So, all right. So 1970 comes. Uh, you've got uh, two records that come out. Uh, and the first one is uh, kind of named after you. So I guess the first thing I want to know yeah. is how did the name Cosmo come about? Well, that came in my college days. Uh, they, they called me Clifford C. Clifford in college. And uh, we lived with uh, no adult supervision. Right. And uh, we had a horrendous ant and roach problem because guys were throwing their you know, their their hamburger wrappings in the on the floor and you know it was just a, it was a just a mess you know guys sloppy nobody did the dish nobody cleaned up and so of course you're gonna have these problems you know I had, I had this uh, biological background I was an amateur anthropologist as a kid so we had a meeting and uh, to to get rid of these things and we had had professional uh, exterminators come out and they never could get rid of the ants. Uh, they, they could temporarily get rid of the roaches, but the ants were the, the, the big the big problem. So uh, I said, okay, 
I can do, I can get rid of all the vermin, no problem, but you guys have to clean up and continue to do so from now on, because that's why we have the problem. Yeah. I said, okay. And then back then you could buy a lethal poison by the gallon <laughs> at the hardware store. <laughs> right. I mean, I had, a, I, so I had some sort of deep mix. You know? So I made my, my little, my little poison bombs and I set them strategically around all the places where, you know, the crossovers, main uh, road, roads and transportation for the, for the, for the creatures. And within two weeks I had that, that pro- they, they were gone. Ants were gone. Roaches were gone. It was all done. So, uh, we were at a, a, a toga party, I think it was. And someone yelled oh, out, this really hey, is Clifford, animal Clifford. House. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, oh yeah. Hey, Clifford C. Clifford, what does the C stand for? And before I could utter anything, the first hippie in the house said, it stands for Cosmo. He's cosmic. He's a man of nature. And they just stayed uh, forever. Everybody in the band calls me Cos or Cosmo. Stu calls me Cos or Cosmo. She's pissed off at me, calls me Doug. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so that's my nickname and and it's here to stay. Yeah, yeah. But the reason why the album was named after me is John is very uh, shy by nature. And I am 180 degrees opposite of that. Uh Uh, I always have been, uh, everyone thought I, you know, I was always the MC at the, at the assemblies. Uh, I was a guy in class that could tell something, a joke or make a teacher laugh and not go to the, the dean and get swats. Everybody else got, got swats, but I just knew the key was knowing when, when the mood was right, when I had, when I could, could I could control the situation. And, 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 and it made sense to what we were doing in, in class. In other words, whatever it was that was we were doing, I, there was, I found something that was funny about it, and I would throw it out there and get the teacher to, to go into hysterics. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, he said, uh, I, I'm naming this after you because the press is going to be all over that. They're going to want to know why and this and that and the other thing. So and I know you can handle it. And, and, and so there you go. Wow. Said, cool. Yeah. And so, you know, there was no internet then. And so I had a different, different story in each city that we went to. <laughs> On why Cosmos Factory is called Cosmos yeah, Factory. That's why. All right. Well then what, what, what's, what's your, what was your favorite made up story? Well, I mean, there were there were so many of them. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I really don't I really don't remember but, uh where the name came from in the first place was certainly one of them. We had a gardener shack in my backyard in a rental house where we would practice. And it was like maybe 10 feet by six feet. It was we could barely get in there uh, with our instruments. And and uh, every everybody was smoking cigarettes. But me, I didn't, I never smoked. And these guys puffed away like chimneys and the door, there was no windows uh, opened and they're puffing away. And I, uh, I stood up and threw my drumsticks on the ground and on the floor and said, you guys are killing me with your cigarettes. And I walked outside and taking deep breaths. Tom comes out and says, well, it's better than working in a factory somewhere. Oh. So my wife's an artist and I got some paints and I got a one, one by four, about 18 inches long. 
and I, I wrote, painted on it, the factory, and I nailed it on the door. So the next day when they came to practice, uh, it was the factory on the door. So when we made it and we had to have a headquarters, we went to the industrial area so we could make as much noise 24 hours a day as we, we wanted to. And it was an old wooden factory. And so uh, that became Cosmos Factory as a result of right, right, uh, right. what I had in my backyard. So 1969, 1970, two years, five albums, uh, completing with Pendulum. And uh, again, you guys are still, uh, you know, at the top of the charts, uh, you know, and, and you know, these these classic songs, I mean, on Cosmos Factory, obviously, Traveling Band, Run Through the Jungle, Up Around the Bend, Who Will Stop the Rain. Those are, you know, still still being played on classic rock radio today. Well, yeah, it's uh, I, I had six singles on it plus uh, a grapevine, so yeah. which was not a single, yeah. but it had been a hit for uh, Gladys Knight and uh, and uh, Temps. Uh, no, um, uh, oh God, his father shot him. Oh, uh, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So pretty. Pretty. So amazing. anyway. Yeah, and uh, that ended up being the I think the longest, most played long song on AM radio, and I think it's still there today. Heard it through the grapevine, eleven minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So uh, now you guys uh, until seventy two, which is the last official recording of Mardi Gras. Um, Tom leaves the band. Uh, so obviously yeah. there's a lot of changes that happened after uh, Pendulum in, in 1970. Uh, what kind of, was it just kind of running its course? Um, you know, what, what what was going on with you guys at that moment? Well, Tom is the one that, without Tom, there would be no credence. He got us into the yeah. studio yeah. early because his band didn't want to back him up and he wanted to, to uh, take uh, some demos down to LA and try and get a deal. And uh, so he had seen us and was very supportive of, of us, uh, you know, playing, being an instrumental trio. And he asked us if we would back him up. Mm-hmm. We said, make a record. And he said, yes. And we just said, God, would we ever? So that's when, it, you know, it all started. So we're learning to play our instruments together as a unit. And we're also learning to record together as a unit. That's one of the reasons why we have such a unique sound is that, that we were a, a, com- a complete uh, unit. And, uh, uh, and, and, and it shows up in, in our yeah. sound. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom was the lead singer and, and paid, paid for everything. And, On that and first demos. That doesn't last very long. Yeah graciously uh, gave up the, 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 the lead vocals to John when he, he, he realized that he was had a grittier voice and more suited to what we were going to be doing. So he he was very cool about it and, and, and you know gave way to John, but he, he never knew that he would never be, be able to sing another song yeah. uh, with us on record, which was really stupid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so Stu and I backed up Tom and you know he we did like 11 or 12 covers and he had a sweet tenor like like uh, Richie Balance so he could have done La Bamba but I think the fear that John had is if Tom had a success that uh, all of a sudden you know he would be getting 
uh, more requests for for you know participating more. Yeah, and time, time on the album, on the next albums, and the things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of so like kind of like the George Harrison did. situation with the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Only you know it was pretty. Pretty, he, he was very crude, uh, cruel about you know the way he dealt with Tom, and Tom had finally had enough, and uh, that's why he left. And, and of course, Stu and I were on his side, and mm-hmm. that put us at odds with John. Uh, and uh, and also the fact that John was our business manager and didn't even understand our contracts. Stu had a, had a degree in business, and said, "I'm not qualified." And we needed we needed a real professional. Uh, and and a mentor to to be able to mentor the problems between the brothers, smooth that over, and then also to go and 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 get the the record deal that we we deserved. And but at one point, we, Fantasy offered us ten percent of the company, and John didn't understand the deal and and turned it down. And we we decided that we thought it was a pretty good deal, so we were willing to throw in. Uh, a percentage of uh, what we were going to get to, to John to have him do this deal, but he still to this day doesn't understand it. And and, uh, uh, I don't know why he even says that, that, that uh, what it is, that what he thought it was because it wasn't even close anyway. So there we are. We end up uh, when, when it's all over, with the same deal we had when we walked in yeah. and our parents co-signed for us, mm-hmm. you know, here we are in all number one and all this and that all these multi-million sellers, uh, he, he failed because he it became personal to him. And so he got, went to war with Saul Zentz. Yeah. And you know, wouldn't, that story. wouldn't play a CCR song for 20 years, you know, and still, and still, I believe fantasy owns, uh, owns the, um, uh, the publishing, uh, publishing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. so CCR basically runs its course. Tom leaves the band. Uh, you guys are at odds with John. It, it just seems like it was just time to put it to bed. And, uh, and, uh, and you did, yeah. and you went off yeah. and started working. Uh, I believe the first thing you did was a Don Harrison band. Right. Uh, we did two albums with Atlantic on that project. Yeah. I, you had a special a harmonica player, uh, on 16 tons too. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. Another Bay Area <laughs> luminary, Mr. Huey Lewis. Yeah, my buddy Huey, uh, uh, great guy and, and uh, still a good friend. So yeah, I hope his him. hearing comes back. Uh, I, I know he's yeah, had some issues I, with that. Yeah, I, I, I owe him a call. So uh, thanks, thanks for reminding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you you got to work with other Bay Area favorites like uh, Steve Miller and Greg Kinn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I went over to, to England and played one show with Steve Miller in front of 120,000 people. Uh, Pink Floyd was the headliner. We were the co-headliner uh, or, or second on the bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was negotiating a new contract. Uh, he wanted to have a, a you know a, 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 a hot band. He said, "I'll." I'll, I'll take you over there and put you up and give you a little cash. And and uh, all you have to do is just play one show and then don't tell them that you're not going to be 
in the band after that show. And I said, eh, can do, but uh, I need a little bit more to get me over there. And he said, what do you, what? what? And I said, put my wife's ticket in there. And so, so he did. And he's a good friend. And uh, yeah, uh, he uh, played on the rehearsal. He said, this is going to be the single that I put out after I get my deal and it was Rockin' Me Baby. Yeah. He, he played it for me with the acoustic guitar, just he and I. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think, you know, based on what what the song is is, is about, I think you need to, to slow that, pull that tempo back. It shouldn't, it was more of a, a rock and roll thing instead of a Rockin' Me Baby. I said, right. You know, it's, it's almost, yeah, I think it's, you know, kind of slow, pardon my French, but it's kind of slow fucking, not gang banging. <laughs> it's, it is. <laughs> I get your and, point and, very and, well. And, and so, uh, the, the, that, that was my contribution to, yeah. to, uh, to that song. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I take it you move up to Lake Tahoe because that gets us back yeah. to the 80s and, uh, you know, where you are doing some of uh, this uh, this stuff, uh, which ends up being in this new, uh, you know, this new record magic window. Uh, right. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, and then the 90s begin with the loss of tom fogarty um who right. had contracted hiv i believe from a blood transfusion um yeah. and that, that, developed, uh, that developed into aids um uh, yes. that must have been horrible well it was horrible and uh, uh because it was was aids uh it, it wasn't covered by insurance and he should have been in, in mm -hmm. intensive care and mm -hmm. had to have just a regular uh, uh, hospital room. So I would go for a week at a time and do 12 hour shifts in the, in, in his room. Uh, and his son would do the other 12 and that way his wife could, uh, you know, uh, get, take care of the, her, the little kids and get them to school. And, and, uh, you know, Tom had somebody in there in the room with him, but, uh, yeah, that was uh, a very, very sad, sad time. And, uh, we had a lot of, a lot of deep, the conversations, uh, needless to say, uh, and uh, I miss the guy. I bet, I bet, I bet, and I, I believe he he passes in 1990, uh, and mm -hmm. 1993, uh, you guys are inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? And it's too bad that he missed that. Uh, I can imagine yeah, it must it, have been a, a, a the big loss there when when you guys it was uh, a big loss there uh, for that um, uh, and again uh, unfortunately uh, you know um, rife with some some other issues uh, what should have been uh, you know a, a celebratory reunion uh, John doesn't come to play with you guys. Yeah, and it was just really a cold, cold and selfish thing to do. And uh, it was, uh, Tom was there. Uh, his widow brought his ashes. Oh, nice. And uh, so he was there and, and all his kids, and we were there with all our family and and uh, didn't weren't told about it until the, the, the day of the, the induction. I, I went downstairs to check the drum sets out, but it, were available for me to play on and uh, I'm walking around. It's like, I got, got 
the, the virus. People are avoiding me like mad. You know, I'd walk in or come come near them. They would turn around and walk. Finally, I just said, this, uh, some young guy that was standing there with a clipboard, I said, told him who I was and said, you know, I, I want to check out the, the drum set, see, or see and also the times and what uh, for for the, the the playing tonight and so forth. He says, "Don't you know?" I says, "Don't I know what?" He says, "You're not playing tonight. Fogarty's playing with Bruce Springsteen and Robbie Robertson and and uh, and, uh, and Bob Glob and uh, Jim Keltner. I'm not playing with you." I said, "What?" And so yeah, he, he stiffed Stewie and I, which was so wrong and. Uh, but you know, uh, in, in in retrospect, I think uh, it, it planted the seeds for the revisited project. Yeah. Because two years later, yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know. Let's not, talk about it. That. Wasn't for spite. We we, no. we wanted to we wanted to play the songs. We wanted to hear the so songs. If, yeah. So, and if we were not good enough to play them at the Hall of Fame, we'll, we'll play them for the people. Yeah. Of the world. Yeah. And do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So Clearwater, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revisited, uh, you uh, you start that in 1995 uh, and uh, right. continued until you, you retired the band uh, just last year. Uh, and I think the, the first uh, iteration uh, actually had uh, Elliot Easton uh, playing guitar on it uh, from the Cars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That must now have been fun because that guy is... Oh just an amazing guitar player i mean uh well, his, cool, some of his the, solos are some of my favorite solos of all of rock and roll well he was the best part of the cars for sure in my opinion you know that's i thought he he he, he brought a real rock and roll to it mm. whereas if he wasn't in there it could have been pretty quirky stuff mm. but uh, yeah he was uh, was was absolutely terrific and when he was 15 years old he knew every, had every Credence record and pl- knew every song and pr- learned to, to uh, play the guitar or help uh, learn to play the guitar by listen, playing our songs and yeah. knowing, you know, knowing because they're simple songs, they're guitar-driven songs. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was, he was a natural fit for us and uh, we had him for 10 years and then the cars did uh, a Creedence Clearwater revisited type trip, and yeah. and it, it it wasn't successful. So yeah. we we missed him, but uh, you know, on onward and forward. But yeah, it, it's a pretty good band. I got to tell you, I can imagine. I'm sorry, I missed uh, seeing uh, uh, Creedence Clearwater revisited uh, when you guys were active. So so why why um, retired the band mm-hmm. last year? Well, uh, you know, it was 25 years, so. Uh, 25 years of touring straight, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of touring and I've got some health issues. I got a bad back. In fact, it's out right now mm. <laughs> uh, and the drummer's back. And then I have yeah. Parkinson's and, and yeah. uh, uh, some, I had cancer and had some radiation, uh, do some damage to me. So, you know, it, it, it's time, it was time. And, 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 on, and I also found this wonderful gem, a magic window in, yeah. in my, in my locker. Yeah. And, and then plus there, are, there are a lot of other, uh, uh, recordings, including, uh, Bobby Whitlock, uh, and, uh, it's a Steve Wright from the Greg Kin band. And so, and uh, I think a couple of the demos have, uh, 
oh gosh, what's his name? The metal guitarist, oh God. Metal. It's my 75th birthday. Yes, I'm losing, it is. My, <laughs> losing my memory. Oh, well. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyway, there's some interesting stuff that will come out following. I've got one more album with me doing the vocals, and then I'll start doing the, the, the next group. Right. Uh, there's right. some interesting stuff in there. So this that'll that'll get me through the rest of my life and, and career, uh, for sure. So mm-hmm. uh, I've I've gone back. I've gone from the performing side to the creative side mm-hmm. uh, again, and uh, it, it's it's new and it's refreshing. And you know, it's a perfect time to uh, get off the road and uh, give the body a rest. Spend more time with my grandkids and Satriani. Oh, Joe Satriani. Joe, Joe okay. Satriani. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I've got some, he's on a couple of the the, the, the tracks and oh, nice. So yeah, I've got some some beauties in there, and uh, it'll all, and all in due time it'll all be out. So, um, uh, so you that, that's nice. We're going to have more uh, 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 Cosmo records uh, beyond Magic Window uh, to come, uh, and um, you know, I, I think I just want to leave with with one question. We've kind of hit on this a couple of times, but you know, from one California native to another, it's interesting because you know the Bay Area has given birth to several musical styles uh you know uh, most yeah. most places you get one and you know we we've had about four or five uh here uh and and each you know kind of unique and different and even some like the 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 thrash metal scene and the the bay area punk scene both of which turned into hugely successful or at least turned out hugely successful bands were happening at the same time so you know what is it about the the bay area that you think uh, lends itself to that sort of intense creativity well it's a beautiful place to start with you have this wonderful bay and uh, and the arches of the golden gate bridge that are you know certainly uh uh a uh, a mainstay uh for for tourists but uh for for the the natives or the people that live there i used to have a view of the the bay uh, and the and the and the bridges and I used every time I'd walk by I'd have make make a little quick stop and look out there yeah I'm still there <laughs> so uh, yeah you know I, I think that and then also what I said earlier is that uh, there's a, a, such a melting pot of of people mm. uh, that and even though it may have been uh, as far back as World War Two uh, they those folks stayed and the, and they're, and they're families grew and you know yeah. generation after generation they're still uh, uh, carrying that uh, that uh, root of where they came from it's still and an so intensely have, cosmopolitan city and uh, yeah, area absolutely mm. absolutely and so when you have those things uh, there and, and they some maybe get together and rub against each other and something different comes out yeah. uh, you have that opportunity uh, uh, just by the lay of the land and, and the folks that have, have chosen to, to uh, put their tent up. Yeah, yeah. Are you still involved in environmental causes? Uh, not as much as I used to be uh, because I, you know, I've been a 
working full time, especially with the, the uh, revisited. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll find something. I'll, there's a lot actually out there right now. Is you know, uh, uh, climate change and and uh, a lot of things that uh, that uh, need need to be addressed because it's very real. And uh, you know, the, if you, you're unaware of it, people there are still people that are unaware of it or see it as a hoax, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, I, I I I see myself getting involved in some some things down here down the road. Well, Doug Cosmo Clifford, thank you so much for being with us on Deeper Digs today. Oh, Chris, my pleasure. Big thank you to Cosmo Clifford for joining us today on Deeper Digs. Uh, be sure to go check out his new album, Magic Window, available now on your favorite music platform of choice. Um, I also want to give a, a shout out to a uh, new friend and digger, Wolfgang Frank, for helping to set up the interview with Cosmo. Really appreciate that. So this week, I was thinking how awful it must be to hold a grudge for decades against guys you went to elementary school with, especially after you all achieved the dreams um, we all dream uh, as youngsters. You know, I, I get that John Fogarty is pissed off at Saul Zentz and feels he got a raw deal from fantasy. But as you heard, it, it may be John took too much on and, and needed proper management to help protect him and the band. The other guys were just trying to eke out a living once these heady days of CCR were behind them. The, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony in 1993 doesn't put Fogarty in a good light. Uh, you know, I'm sure he had his reasons, but looking at it 27 years later, it, it was kind of a dick move. You know, I get he's the creative genius in the band and and feels he doesn't need Stu and Doug, but, you know, for one night, you, you couldn't let sleeping dogs lie? Look, they all knew John had the superstar talent, you know, but they did their job just as well. Remember, these were guys from El Cerrito, California, playing swamp music. That don't happen without a solid rhythm section. I also started thinking about how John's creative talents were certainly unassailable. Uh, his business acumen seems a little suspect. You know, we can ask David Geffen about that. So it's more than just Saul Zentz. Um, I think about the fact uh, CCR wasn't in the Woodstock movie uh, because John decided against it. 
Of course, in hindsight, that seems like a big mistake. It was years before I even knew they were there, and it was just last year that the recordings became available, and holy shit, were they on fire that night. A shame they weren't included in the original film and album. They were the first headliner. It also seems that John misses several other cultural moments that really would have solidified their position and perhaps would have helped them transition from the 1960s to the 1970s. Uh, But then again, maybe by creating the musical mask of Swamp Rock paints them into a corner that uh, wouldn't allow much of a transition. I don't know. In the end, uh, Fogarty doesn't really come back into the spotlight uh, until that sound became nostalgic. Uh, for the oldsters and uh, could be reached by a new, younger generation. It just hurts my heart that these guys are still not on friendly terms. You know, the business gets in the way. And I know Doug has said that, uh, you know, since it happened, hasn't happened by now, it's just never going to happen. Sure, I, I get there won't be a reunion, but maybe just a friendly chat now and then. Um, I just hate to think these guys are going to the grave without... Uh, a reconciliation is all. Okay, next week we get to slap a debase with the incredible Tal Wilkenfeld. She is just everywhere. You you might remember her as the young woman with the kinky hair playing for Jeff Beck. Well, she is out on her own and is becoming a star in her own right. We will get all the details when we chat about COVID, isolation, and a ton about music. Tune in for that. Okay. I'm out. Got a big week ahead of me. You all stay safe. Check out adamandeve.com. Use the checkout code DIGS. And as always, keep up the rockin'. Early in the evening, jars about supper time. Over by the courthouse, they're stopping to unwind. Four kids on the corner, trying to pick you up. Will it be too now? by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.